0: morning my name is Praise and I will be reading our Bible passage today. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. That is page 912 in our church Bibles. Let's pray before we read the Bible. Thank you Heavenly Father for making yourself known and that we can know you more through your word. Thank you for your word is a lamp for our feet and light on our path. Your word is a great reward for those who obey them. Give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Thanks:
1: uh, Thanks so much, praise uh, for reading for us. It'd be great to uh, keep that part of your Bible open. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Paul. I haven't met you before. I'd love to meet you. over morning tea. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, uh, and yeah, really excited to be digging uh, into this part of John uh, with you this morning. Uh, so how about I pray uh, for God's help, uh, and then we'll, yeah, get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word given to us, and we pray now that you would do your work in us by your Spirit to comfort us, and to convict us, to see how great the life Jesus offers us really is. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, signs are important. Uh, Signs reveal to us information, information that points us in the right direction, don't they? Driving here this morning, you would have driven on the road and then would have passed a million signs, maybe not a million, but lots of signs that are pointing you the right way. Uh, this week, I came across a story uh, of a council worker named Andy Kirby in Wales. Uh, and back in 2008, Andy was given the job uh, to make some road signs bilingual. Uh, he was tasked with getting some signs translated into both English and Welsh. Uh, this was to help you know, anyone driving past, driving along the road, they'd be able to read it and understand it. Uh, this morning I was actually, there's a, couple of, uh, there's a couple here who are from Wales, I was checking this out, and actually it's quite a common thing, these signs all over Wales uh, bilingual. Anyway, the, uh, Andy's sign, the, the sign that he was to be made was um, a sign to stop heavy vehicles driving into a residential area. Uh, the sign was to read this, it was to say, no entry for heavy goods vehicles, residential site only. Pretty, you know, helpful sign. The only problem for Andy was that he didn't know how to speak Welsh. He didn't know how to read Welsh. So, you know, not to worry, he, he flicked an email off to one of his colleagues uh, and quickly got a reply. Uh, and But Andy, without fact checking it, without getting a second opinion, when he got the sign made up, got it installed beside the road, and this is what the sign looked like. Looks all right, doesn't it? Looks good. Job done. Andy made the sign. Uh, to those, you know, who don't know uh, how to read Welsh, the sign looks fine, doesn't it? But if you know Welsh, the sign actually says this. It says, I am not in the office at the moment. Please send any work to be translated. True story. He was away on holidays and came back and someone was like, Andy, I think something's wrong with your sign. <laughs> For anyone anyone driving past that sign who just read the Welsh part, you know, they would have been confused and probably amused. Uh, It it wouldn't have been that helpful, really, would it, in pointing people in the right direction? (laughs) Signs are important. Uh, And when you can read them and understand them, they can actually be the difference between going the right way and going the wrong way. Actually, understanding some signs can actually even be the difference between life and death. And that's the kind of signs we have here in John's Gospel. Signs which point us to where life is found. Uh, In John's Gospel, this biography of Jesus' life, John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, recorded for us seven signs that Jesus performed. In the first one, we read in verse 11, this is the first sign Jesus performed. Uh, It says that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which he revealed his glory. Now, these signs they are not road signs, but they are supernatural signs that point us to who Jesus is and how glorious life is with him. Uh, and, and we've seen over the last few weeks, haven't we? John recorded these signs with one purpose in mind. Let me remind you again from John chapter 20. He says this, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you see John's purpose in writing these signs down for us? It's so that we may come to believe that Jesus is God. That we may come to, say, to believe and have life in Jesus' name. John wants us to share his conviction. He wants us to see clearly the claims he's making about Jesus are true. And these signs are evidence to those claims. These signs point us in the right direction. They point us to Jesus and where life is only found. And this first sign, which we're going to look at this morning, reveals to us just how glorious and good the life Jesus came to bring us truly is. He came to bring life in abundance. So wherever you're at today, this sign is for you. If you're sceptical, if you already trust Jesus... This sign is for us all, to give us confidence, to convict us, to comfort us that Jesus is God and that life with him is abundantly good. So we're going to look at this first sign under two headings today. We're going to firstly see a disastrous wedding, and then we're going to see Jesus, the glorious bridegroom. So firstly, the disastrous wedding. Uh, Read with me again from verse 1 there. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Uh, this first sign of Jesus' takes place at a wedding. Now weddings are great occasions, aren't they? Uh, and, and these days, there's lots of fuss around weddings. Uh, actually, this whole profession's given to you know, organising and uh, preparing weddings, aren't there? Uh, there's, you know, wedding planners. There's caterers. There's photographers. There's decorators. Uh, I looked up this week the average cost for a Kiwi wedding. Uh, it's thirty-two thousand dollars. It's a lot of money, isn't it? I remember when I was organising uh, my wedding or planning my wedding, or maybe I should say, I remember when Mel was planning our wedding. Uh, we'd go, we'd go and look at a venue or, you know, some flower arrangements. And as soon as you mentioned, oh, actually, this is for a wedding. It was like the person's eyes would light up, you know, and they'd start showing you this whole new, def- different, you know, price list. Weddings—they're a big deal, aren't they, in our day and age? And in Jesus' day, they were huge occasions too. And we're told this wedding uh, with, with Jesus and his disciples is in Cana. Now, this is the hometown of Nathaniel. We find out a little bit later in John. Nathaniel was one of Jesus' followers we met last week. Uh, And in those days, weddings were a whole-town affair. Every man, family, and donkey were invited to the wedding. The whole town would come along. Uh, The bride and the groom would be paraded through the streets. There'd be a wedding ceremony. And then the procession would end at the um, groom's family's house. And then the party would begin. And everyone was invited. One artist, uh, Pablo Varanesi, has tried to capture the spectacle of this wedding... Uh, There's a picture, I think, behind me. It's the largest painting in the Louvre. It's um, on a huge canvas, 7 metres high by 10 metres wide. It's an incredible scene, isn't it? There's drinking, there's laughing, there's celebrating, there's dancing. And if you look closer, you can see right in the middle, there's Jesus. It was all happening at this wedding until disaster struck the wedding runs out of wine. We're not told how many days the wedding celebration has to continue, but it can't go on. The celebrations can't continue when there's no wine. Now, whose responsibility was it to provide enough wine? It was the host, wasn't it? It was the the bride and the groom. It was their responsibility, their obligation to cater enough for the wedding. This is disastrous for the celebrations, but it's actually shameful for the host's. And it's into this situation, an interesting conversation occurs between Mary and Jesus. You see it there in verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. I love Mary's heart here. Heart for the host of the party, hey? She wants their shame and embarrassment to be taken away. And she knows Jesus can do it. She knew before he was born that he was special and unique. But Jesus' response to her is interesting, isn't it? He says, woman, why do you involve me? Or more literally, he goes, what's this got to do with me, mum? Now, Jesus here, he isn't being disrespectful to his mum. Later on in, in chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross dying, he'll use this similar kind of expression. He'll say, woman, behold your son. To comfort her in her pain, Jesus responds to Mary this way to show that he's come for something much bigger than a wine shortage. And we see this by what he says in the second half of verse 4. He says, My hour has not yet come. You see, I think we see, Mary, uh, we see Jesus talking to Mary this way, and we think, That's a strange way for a son to talk to a mum. But we forget this is no ordinary son. Remember the opening verses of John? Jesus is no less than the word of God. The one who dwelt eternally with the Father. The word who was God and was with God in the beginning. The one who spun the stars into motion. Jesus is God. And he's reminding Mary here and reminding us that God's purposes are not our purposes. God's plans are far greater than our plans. Jesus has come not just to to be on a field trip to earth, just to do a few party tricks. No, he's come with one purpose in mind. Jesus has come as a light into a dark world. He's come to make us children of God and that would happen when he died on a cross. That was the hour to which he was heading and that time has not yet come. Mary humbly seems to understand this Uh, what Jesus says to her and so she says to him says to the servants do whatever he tells you Mary approaches Jesus as a mum but she responds to him as a disciple she makes the need known and then she leaves it in his hands now after this brief conversation and the way Jesus responded to Mary you'd expect the story to end there Jesus' hour has not yet come so he turns to the servants and says guys just go around start handing out some water Problem solved, that's it, not my problem. That'd be pretty, you know, you'd understand the the story. There'd be no no drama. Uh, It wouldn't be a big drama to leave the situation like that. The hosts would be embarrassed, but it's their fault. There's there's no other stories like this where, you know, um, Jesus, uh, often there's there's stories like this where Jesus, uh, there's someone deeply hurting or in need, but that's not the situation here, is it? But that's not where the story ends. Jesus performs this sign to give us a glimpse of the glorious life he came to bring. The life which would be ushered in through his death. So Jesus then turns to the servants in verse 7 and says, fill those six stone water jars over there with water and go pour some of that out to the master of the banquet. The servants obey and then miraculously the water is turned to wine, and it is the very best wine now I don't know if you're much of a wine drinker Uh, I'm definitely not Uh, but over the past few years Mel and I have done the odd wine tasting and there's one thing I've learned is that uh, from these wine tasting experiences that making wine is a science and an art I remember our first wine tasting trip up at the Mission Estate in Hastings I remember being told by the person working there just about all the different ways the wine had been aged, the different types of grapes, uh, how the oak barrels had added flavor, uh, how, how the weather had factored into it, how even the stones in the grounds, you know, had an impact on the wine. My eyes were open to the complexity of making good quality wine. But for Jesus here, the maker of every type of grape. Creating the very best of wine is easy. He does it in the blink of an eye. And he didn't just provide one bottle. He didn't just provide one good year's worth of wine. He didn't just make one barrel. He provided over and beyond what was needed. He made 800 bottles of wine, over 600 litres of wine. He provided an abundance of the very best wine. And did you see the response from the master of the banquet in verse 10? He's blown away. He says, he goes, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. Jesus abundantly provided for this wedding party and the disastrous situation is averted. The celebrations can continue. The focus then at the wedding moves from the bride and the groom, and from the party to Jesus. The focus moves from the deed that was performed to the doer of this deed. And a valid question is, what's with all this wine, Jesus? What does this first sign tell us about Jesus and the life he came to bring? Well, that leads to our second heading for today, and that is, Jesus is the glorious bridegroom. And to understand what's going on here with the wine, it's helpful to look to the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, an abundance of wine was often an image used by the prophets to point forward to a new age, a new time when God's people would enjoy his blessing and favor forever, when their sin and rebellion would be completely washed away. Uh, We read in passages like Amos 9, uh, he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. I'll bring back my exiled people Israel. Or in Joel 3, uh, he says this, In that day the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. The prophets, they pointed forward, to a day when God would gather his people and he would abundantly provide for their ever need. The day when the wine would be overflowing. And that glorious day arrived when Jesus stepped into the earth. Jesus is the glorious bridegroom who came to abundantly provide for our every need. The wedding at Cana and the abundance of wine Jesus provided, there was a sign that this new age of blessing from God had finally arrived. God's kingdom had come because God had come. At the wedding in Cana, the the bride and the groom and their families were the ones responsible for providing. But Jesus stepped in and provided. He is the glorious bridegroom. And he abundantly provides not just wine, but he provides our ultimate need to be made right with God Did you see the jars in uh, the the story that Jesus used to perform this sign? They were jars used for ceremonial washing. Jars which were a constant reminder to the people that they were spiritually unclean before God. They had to daily use these jars to to wash themselves before they ate. Now this uh, makes me think of a constant refrain in my house uh, with, with my two daughters, which is, go and wash your hands. Uh, after going to the toilet, after they're playing outside, after eating their food, they've got mess all over their face, all over their hands, I'll say to them, go and wash your hands. They'll look at me and they'll be like, what? It's not, I'm not that dirty. I'll say, go look in the mirror and wash yourself off. And this, this problem of needing to be washed clean was the same for the people in Jesus' day. And it's the same for us today. We come before God Not physically unclean, but spiritually broken and unclean. We come before God with a heart that is bent on running away from him. And no amount of washing our hands or changing our behavior or changing our appearance can make us right with God. But Jesus, he comes to do away with these ceremonial washing jars. Jesus doesn't say, clean yourself up. He says, come to me and I'll wash you from within. He comes to deal with our wayward and unclean heart before God. He comes to replace our unclean heart with a heart that is alive and in relationship with God. He comes to pour out his life for us to bring us back into relationship with God. He holds nothing back. He abundantly provides for us so that we can have enjoy life now with God and life forever with him. Jesus comes to offer us life by pouring out his life. The question is, do you have this life with Jesus? Do you see the abundant life Jesus offers you? The sign at the wedding in Cana shows us that life with Jesus is marked by two things. First, life with Jesus is full of joy. Jesus did not come to spoil the party, like some people might think. He did not go to this wedding and turn the wine into water. He's not a killjoy. No, he came for us to enjoy life with him. To enjoy life to its fullest. Life the way it was meant to be lived, in relationship with our creator. You see, the heart of Christianity is one of joy. Joy now because we know Jesus, but joy for all eternity Because we know this life is not all there is. You see, this wedding at Cana was a tiny snapshot of the heavenly wedding party we have to look forward to with Jesus. With Jesus, the best is yet to come. We wait for that glorious day when we'll be with him face to face at the heavenly party. A party where our every need will be met. A party where there'll be an abundance of food and wine A party where the good times will never end. Life with Jesus is full of joy. And life with Jesus is all about relationship. Jesus is the glorious bridegroom who, like any spouse, wants to love us and let us know how much we're loved. Jesus came to do away with the ceremonial washing jars. He came not to establish a whole set of new set of rules and regulations, but rather he came for a relationship with us. He came for us to daily enjoy him, to enjoy time with him in his word, sitting in his voice, sitting at his feet, listening to his voice, talking to him in prayer, pouring out our fears, our joys, everything that's on our heart because he cares for us. Jesus loves us. And wants a relationship with us. And when we try to make following Jesus just about doing a bunch of things, we're taking the wine and trying to turn it back into water. The new age that Jesus brought is all about joy and celebration, it's about life and hope, it's about rest and refreshment, it's about a relationship with Him and not a religion. So let me ask you again do you have this life with Jesus? Have you seen what this first sign of Jesus means? It's a sign that points us to the glorious, abundant life and relationship Jesus has come to offer us. It's a sign that reveals the glory and the goodness of Jesus. He's a loving spouse who says, come and do life with me, life to its fullest. A little later in John's life, he pens another piece of writing, and in it he writes about a future heavenly wedding, a wedding where the Lamb of God, Jesus, will dwell with his people. And he says this, have a listen. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That future wedding day will be far greater than that day in Cana. It'll be a day where we will be with Jesus face to face. We will sit at his table and enjoy feasting and celebrating with him forever. Charles Spurgeon, a great English preacher, said this of that glorious day. He says, The Lamb's wedding will be a time for boundless pleasure and tears would be out of place. We've all been invited to that glorious wedding where we will be the bride of Christ. The question is, will you put your trust in Jesus and start doing life with him today? Life full of joy and life in abundance with Jesus for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to offer us life. Life in relationship with you. Life in abundance. Life that is full of joy now and life with a glorious future hope of being seated at the glorious wedding banquet of the Lamb for all eternity. Thank you that Jesus didn't hold anything back, but that he poured out his life so we can have life. Father, help us to daily remember that with Jesus, the best is still yet to come. Help us to live life trusting him And looking forward to that day when we'll be with him face to face. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.